We can talk about anything you want as Welcome to Jay Flaunts' Ignorance. This is episode Snippets 3. Uh, the Snippets episodes are where I have two lapel mics and I put them on people and we have informal-ish conversations, unstructured. Uh, the lapel mics are just convenient to clip onto people and uh, have conversations about whatever. So in this episode, my mother and I are talking and she is seeking some sort of middle ground ethical framework through which she can understand how the two sides of our political systems uh, see things very differently and how she can try to find common ground. So she lives in uh, Independence, Missouri. I live in Omaha, Nebraska, and she's involved with her local city council down in Independence, Missouri. And so she starts by trying to learn things from my philosophy undergraduate career 25 years ago, <laughs> of which I've forgotten everything, and we go from there. So I uh, hope you enjoy these episodes. If you don't like this format, just go ahead and go into the feed and skip all the episodes that start with snippets and then a number, uh, because these are very noisy, unstructured kind of things where I'm just clipping lapel mics to people at random and having conversations. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks. Bye. Now we can have our casual conversation. <laughs> All right. Casual conversation. Between mother and son. Oh, then try not to dunk it in the coffee. <laughs> yeah. Unless it falls off, I won't be dunking it. Okay, so my so my question was you well, first the the foundation layer. I recall that while you were at Iowa State, part of your college sojourn was to take courses in philosophy, ethics, that sort of thing. So my question is, in terms of the field of study, are there kind of a a universally affirmed set of values which form the basis of determining that which is most ethical. Well, uh, so, yeah, so 25 years ago, I was a philosophy major for one and a half semesters or something <laughs> before I dropped out of philosophy and moved on to psychology. Uh, two semesters, maybe? I don't, I don't remember. Anyway, um, what I remember studying in everything from like intro to ethics to some more, I don't even remember which specific classes because it was 25 years ago, but um, I remember studying ethics as a system of human thought throughout the last, you know, thousand years of recorded history or whatever, where people in, in the philosophical lens, you have ideas that someone has proposed. They're making assertions about the nature of, a thing. So in the case of ethics, it's the nature of good and evil, right? And um, what we did as beginner undergraduate philosophy ethics people, <laughs> students, <laughs> what we were, were, a lot of it was just um, introducing hundreds of years ago, these people had these ideas and these ideas resonate today in movements like this movement and this movement and whatever. 
And then um, the religious studies department at Iowa State University was kind of conjoined with the philosophy department. So philosophy and religious studies were both kind of in the same um, umbrella, right? And so they would talk about, okay, well, in this, in this faith tradition, this is the, um, the pattern that we see. So some of this could be seen as uh, uh, echoes of uh, Plato-Socrates and from the, these early ethical writers who came up with ethical systems asserting that these are good things and these are bad things and these are why these things are good and bad and whatever. So we covered a broad swath of different theories about how to um, put good and bad to how to define those terms. So I think your question to me was, is there broad agreement among, you know, large numbers of these things about from whence the nature of good and evil is derived or from whence one would, uh, let's see, I've lost all my philosophy. This, so, you know, 25 years ago, I've lost all of my vocabulary for philosophy, but, um, the authority via which, um, any ethical assertions have meaning, right? right? So throughout most of recorded history, most ethical thought has been written under the umbrella of uh, a religious authority. Mm. So God said these things are good, and therefore these things are good, and that's the argument, you know? But not all of it, right? It's a lot of, a lot of non-religious thinkers have written down their thoughts and they don't cite God as the reason, you know, Zeus striking me with the lightning bolt is the reason that we do this on this day and not this on that day or whatever. Um, So I don't know because I was never a scholar and it was 25 years ago. I don't know how much broad consensus there is amongst all of these things. But to me, it was really a fascinating I loved all the intra-level stuff in philosophy and psychology and, I mean, all the intra-level stuff. And then I'd try to jump into the 300-level courses and, uh, you know, get less satisfied. But um, the the broad ideas I'd never heard before in philosophy were really amazing to me, right? Because I think, I think you guys raised me with a certain set of um, implied and a certain set of explicit morals mm-hmm. and values and these are this is the way you should interact with people mm-hmm. um and then i go off to college and they say oh well this guy 600 years ago said these things which are interesting and different mm-hmm. you know and it's like oh wow okay well mm-hmm. uh, you know what is the what is the difference there and then how do we measure you know what is a right. what is better for right. humanity right and that that's I think that's a, a central question for me, uh, and and I see that as having very practical value. That question in the current polarization, as I understand our current U.S. culture, I think we're a very polarized culture, and a lot of that polarization. Uh, is labeled conservative liberal. And I think 
it's possible that one of the really effective tools in inviting polarized people back into a civil conversation with each other is to focus on values, which to me has a lot to do with ethics. Um, so what what's the best understanding of the societal values that benefit life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness within a culture. And I, I haven't done that you know, philosophy, ethics study as you have, so most of my assumptions about that come out of my lifelong interest in religion and what values are put forth in the religious milieu in which I have functioned um, and where are those values identified behaviorally or ignored behaviorally within cultural behavior. Um, so I was just curious to know if you if you had encountered um, any kind of set of values that philosophers over the generations have said when these values are upheld by society there tends to be a broader success <laughs> i don't i don't know how to describe what i'm searching for now a a, a broader um satisfaction you know within culture um so so maybe maybe what you're looking for is People would say that they're conservative. They would self-label with the label conservative versus people who would self-label themselves as liberal. Maybe what you're looking for is kind of an understanding of – because both of these sets of people, my understanding is, have sets of values that they um, – Find, they think are very important and they're trying to bring forth in the world and they have different theories about how uh, to maximize those uh, values for everyone and they come to different conclusions based on um, different prioritization of values Yeah, yeah. and then it turns into a this binary rift in our political discourse where we're talking past each other most of the time. Yeah. So like I'm very concerned about X and this other person is very concerned about Y and both of us are trying to, you know, get the other person to um, understand how important our thing is, how important our thing is and 
not seeing that a lot of times the other person also thinks that's important, but they think that a totally different approach brings that uh, resolution better. Um, So, yeah. And so then, then I, my bias is that I don't think most political discourse is useful at all broadly because every time I talk to an individual about um, where I think I'm at and where I think they're at, they correct me because when they use a label, when they self-label as a thing, it turns out that they don't use that word the way that I would think they would use that word. So like, I, I don't even understand their label. Right. Mm. So they've said, okay, well, I, you know, I'm a, this, I'm a, this. And in my mind that evokes 50, you know, recent events or, or, uh, uh, hypotheses about how a person who labels himself X would behave under a certain set of circumstances. And then I start exploring those and I was wrong. So they call themselves conservative or something. And I, that, that word triggers in me, my biases about what that means. And it turns out that if I explore those 50, uh, prejudices, like I'm prejudging what that means, it turns out that half the time I'm right, but half the time I'm wrong. Like that's not at all how they feel about that thing, you know? Yeah. And so I find the, uh, broad political discourse, very unhelpful. And I find it really interesting to talk to like my neighbor, my my neighbor who he and I label ourselves very differently. (laughs) And yet he's a great guy. He's like my best friend. And I think he's a really good person who wants to help people, but he thinks that the way that I think we should go about that is misguided and it's Mm -hmm. not actually doing what I think it's doing, which is possible. Like it's possible that I'm, you know, some kind of crazy socialist leftist pinko hippie who doesn't understand how the world works. And if I got my way, things would be worse. That, that is possible. Mm-hmm. I don't think so, but you know, the more I talk to him, the more opportunities we have to say to each other, well, here's my theory of how this could be better. Here's my theory about how this could be better. And then try to, uh, at least explore the, the space, you know? Yeah. Um, and we, we, most of the time actually agree on most things. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, so this, the, the, my podcast feed is full of, I don't know, 16 hours now of me talking to Chris (laughs) (laughs) about various things that are in the news or whatever. Yeah. But I, I get, I get really skeptical when it comes to, um, a lot of political discourse in that I think these, um, a lot of news outlets and things are um, driven to uh, to kind of black and white thinking about how there's two. Well, you know, our, it, it, I think it all starts with our two party system and poisons all political discourse, in my opinion. Right. So there's these quote two sides end quote right, and my far left friends are like, well, they're both evil. <laughs> You know, because the worst, you and I, and I think most people, but I took a poll on Twitter and I was wrong. I think 
conservative versus liberal is like the the set of hey this is what america is generally speaking you're on one side of this more often or not than not or the other and my far left friends think it's a massive insult to be called a liberal like that's a terrible thing to be called because that the liberal system of economics is devastating our economy for the last 40 years etc so anyway but i yeah i when when you turn that two-party divide the republican democratic american two-party divide into the way that you make your living is by verbally jousting with people full time what you're doing most of the time is reinforcing that dichotomy not trying to solve problems because you can get more money faster by making people mad by blaming the other than you can by trying to actually figure out a budget that works for a city to move towards hopefully a better set of things for everybody if we can afford that you know so right and my in my naivete you know i assume that let's just take a totally hypothetical you know i assume that the members of the Indep- city of independence city council have very practical decisions to make among them are how are the funds available to the city allocated and i think in terms of if if there were conversations with between among the members of the independent city council about what are the values that serve the interests of the citizens of the city of independence and if there could come at least some measure of agreement about those values that the decisions about how money is spent would follow um okay so if, if i were you and i was trying to engage the independent city council on budgeting stuff the first time, thing i would try to do is see if anyone's even on the same page out of the gate at all period because i would not be at all surprised if you had representatives who thought that their job was small government. Their job is not to help people. Their job is to have as little government as possible, as small as possible, doing as little as possible to keep things out of their way. So this a, a small government city councilman is going to have a very different set of criteria for analyzing the cost of anything than someone who thinks that, no, our job is to provide needed services to all citizens regardless of their income i think other council people are going to not say this out loud but they're going to be serving the interests of their donors whoever it is that they financially benefit from supporting whatever policies they want those are the policies they're gonna they're gonna put in place and not say so explicitly but they're getting 
either monetary compensation for that or they're getting status or prestige because they can hang out with the richest people because the richest people, you know, whatever. And so tax breaks are the biggest thing that's important, right? So if you're trying to understand where people are coming from on the city council, my my first thing would be how can you possibly know what their base motivations are for sitting in that seat? Would would even would they even say that their job is to help the poor people? Because some people in government don't think that is their job. Or they think they're supposed to say that's their job, but they'll they won't behave in that manner because they yeah. can advance their own interests by doing other things. And I th- I think almost universally at that level of government um, persons have been elected to the city council with a statement exactly like what you just voiced. You know, my my job is to meet the needs of the citizens of the city of Independence universally uh, to the best of my ability and to give leadership for that to occur. So even if they've at least said that on the campaign trail, then there's potential for a measure of accountability. Now, you, you said when you were running, you said you were interested in affordable housing available to in greater quantity to the citizens of independence. And to me, this action that you just took appears to be headed in the opposite direction or identify for me the actions that you have taken or proposed or supported that in your mind lead to the end of the the statement that you made when you were running for office there's there's a potential measure of accountability in that exchange yeah potential sure so 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 then they give you an answer and can you believe them right or are they systematically doing something else and don't want to be held to account for them? Yeah. Well, the only way to know that is to engage for over months and years. How much are your, are your council people paid at all? I don't even know. So presumably there's at least a full-time job's worth of work to do, right? And if, if like the Nebraska legislature, they're being paid $15,000 a year... Well, obviously, you have to be independently wealthy to do that work. Yeah. So that means that all of our state reps are independently wealthy or going into massive debt to do their job. Yeah. So the city council, well, how much work is that every year? And how much are they paid, if anything? And then how how can they afford to do that and are there 
financial benefits to serving that aren't above board, like aren't obvious and accountable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So without knowing these council people and being at all the city council meetings and trying to establish a through line of what appears to be happening, I mean, it's like a full-time job even to try to understand what politicians are doing, right? So, yeah. But, you know, you're retired, so go <laughs> go for it. If this is how you want to spend all your time is trying to figure out what the motivations of people who are – I mean, politicians say a ton of things, right? They say stuff constantly. And there's only so much – they can actually do and they have to prioritize if you don't have hours to talk to them how can you possibly know what their true motivations yeah. are and i i appreciate that i i just think uh, that it's important to make some effort in that direction given that we're stuck with the system you know until we invent another system which i don't think there's much effort to even work on uh, to just ignore it and say, well, you know, they're doing what they're doing uh, is kind of a, it's not helpful. Yeah. So the one big problem is that 90% of government is insanely boring. I mean, it's spreadsheets and it's huge proposals and it's like, I don't find any of that interesting at all, right? Yeah. And so, (laughs) So, Oh no. So who's who's going to do that work? So then, so even if you have a reporter for a, even if Independence has reporters on the local beat, right, whose whole job it is to go to these city council meetings, most of it's boring, even when it's healthy. Like there's, you know, if running a budget is like balancing your checkbook and it's boring as all hell, right? Sure. So how yeah. sure. how do you keep people interested? Well, journalists can only afford to do their job if people are interested in reading and consuming and supporting the newspaper. And how many people are going to read of the city council, right? This is probably the same set of five people that'll, you know, physically go there that would read it in a newspaper. What, 50 people might read it? Maybe. I I don't know. So, like, I'm on the SID board, and nobody, and I didn't want to be on it for for the first, (laughs) I didn't want to be on it, but I'm like, well, somebody's got to do it. And if people have been doing it forever, and I just moved here, I could give some people a break, whatever, and um, it's dull, right? It's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And nobody cares until there's something yeah. wrong. Right, until so until they're deprived of some kind of service. Right, and then hopefully... Or it's as, costing them a ton of money. Because I'm on the board of five people, hopefully I'm going to do the best I can if when anything that anyone cares about comes up. (laughs) Like all they care is that the sewer plant is working. That's all they care about. 
right? Nobody else wants the details and they want it to cost as little as possible. So their taxes are as low as possible and that's it. But if you flush your toilet and your toilet doesn't work, suddenly it's the most important thing. Yeah. And hopefully we won't have that kind of problem. (laughs) Yeah. Did you, did you volunteer for that role? How did you end up on the SID board? So when I moved, so the the first thing before I bought the house is yeah. I tried to find the, the covenants, the neighborhood covenants, because I wanted to understand, well, what are the restrictions about me, like building a building or like if I wanted to build a big shed to stick my RV in or something, can I do that yeah. here? Well, I don't know. I had to find the covenants. Well, it turns out the lawyer's like, well, you know, I well, allegedly at one point a lawyer said to me, okay, well, I can't legally tell you this because I work for the homeowners and you're not a homeowner, right? So, so legally no comment, but you might notice if you look in the public filings that there hasn't been a, 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 a new structure. <laughs> what are the covenants, the covenant, the neighborhood oh, yeah. covenants, there hasn't been a covenant update since 1982 and i can tell you as a matter of law in the state of nebraska if you don't update your covenants every five years with the state they're null and void every five years or 10 years or something he said so he's giving me facts about the situation but but he can't say there are no covenants because he's not my lawyer because i didn't own the property yet right yeah so it, it gets it gets very weird because the sid pays the lawyer for his time. Yeah. And he's the only person who knows anything about the state of the paperwork of the right. SID. Right. As far as the official filings at the county courthouse, unless you go to the county courthouse, right. blah, blah, blah. So, just, just as a matter of conversation, though, uh, a really good realtor would have or could easily acquire some of that information out of familiarity. I was stunned that several houses in a row, I was the only person who had ever asked for the covenants of the neighborhood. The realtor is like, oh, yeah, I can ask the realtor for that. And the other realtor was like, oh, you're the only client who's ever asked me for those. And the owner has never heard of those things, and they may or may not exist in the county Mm -hmm. in question. You know what I mean? So I'm one in a hundred rarity of a person apparently who tries to play by the rules. Like I want to know what the rules are to know in advance if I'm going to break a rule and no one else cares. (laughs) So yes, the real estate agents are very familiar with this, but it's only one in a thousand clients that give a crap. Right. So what most people would do was if they decided they wanted to buy this property they would buy the property, and at the juncture when they decided they were ready to put up a butler building to house their RV in, they would have gone to the county to get a building permit to put up a butler building, and at that juncture have been told, you can't put up a butler building. There's covenants in that neighborhood which prohibit... Uh, putting up a butler building. Well, I don't think the county does that. I think individual homeowners in a homeowner's 
association right. have the legal authority to sue each other if you violate their agreed upon covenants. So the, the county enforces building codes, right? You can either, this is either legal install or it's not in the county. But neighborhood covenants are enforced by your neighbors. Hmm. So. That's interesting. Yeah. I have a friend who's the president of, or director, I'm not sure what her label is, but she's the head of their neighborhood association. And one of the phenomenon in their particular neighborhood is, and it says right in the covenants, most people just didn't pay any, didn't have any interest in it, as you've just alluded to, when they bought their homes. But it says right in the covenants that in certain areas of this association area, uh, the residents themselves are responsible for the sidewalks and the streets in front of their homes, mm-hmm. uh, which came as an utter surprise you know, when the streets and the sidewalks needed repaired. Um, and the citizen- oh, concrete, not just shoveling. You're talking about concrete repair? Yes. Oh. Uh, and so the, the streets and the sidewalks fell into disrepair, And the residents were saying, you know, this needs to be fixed. Uh, You who are responsible for our HOA, get the city on this. And the city came back and said, you know, that's not our responsibility. That's the homeowner's responsibility. Here it is right here in the covenant. Um, That that was it. What's that? Several Hopkinses. Oh, is it that late already? I didn't think so. Hello, several Hopkinses. How are you? Very good. Huey. Huey. I'm going to kennel the mutt here. Oh, but we love dogs. Uh, This dog. Hey. So, so that dog's good. Okay. He's the friendliest thing ever. This okay. dog is a problem. Is that, is that Huey? So he needs to settle down a bit. <laughs> he's he's jumpy and poop sometimes. So you you can you can make friends with Huey, but it takes time and patience, uh-huh. and sometimes snacks. <laughs> <laughs> so we can. See how it goes a little bit, but uh, you do not want to approach the dog quickly and put your hand out. He will maybe bite it. Okay. So don't do that. Okay. Okay. Uh, Sure. Are you going to totally behave? Come in. Hi. Oops. Sorry. Too bad. Hold on. Hold on. Let me put him away. Here. Yeah. A misstep takes a long time to recover. Huey. Stop. Good boy. All right. You're going to get used to people's voices and stuff. Uh, There's a big brown fuzzy dog upstairs who's totally harmless. Yeah. (laughs) But Huey is not totally harmless. Turn this off. Yeah. (laughs) Huey, hush. Hello there, everybody. Merry Christmas. Yeah, good to see you too. 
Oh Lucas from China. Vincent, I remember. It hasn't been that long. Hey, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, good to see you.